This episode of Into the Wild is brought to you by Leica Sport Optics. As the world opens up and we're able to venture forth and go and explore again, it's essential that we have the kit we need so we don't leave nature hotspots disappointed. With that in mind, I cannot recommend Leica Sport Optics enough. Leica not only have a great range of optics for a wide range of uses, but they also offer finance plans to help people like me that would rather pay bit by bit. I'm currently using the Leica HD Ultravid, and now I can clearly see all the birds that I am also still unable to identify. Read more about Leica's range via their website in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Into the Wild. I am Ryan Dalton, your host of the show. Thanks, as always, for clicking play on the pod. Well, I hope you've had a lovely week since I last spoke. Summer seems to have come back to shine its light on our days for just probably about one more week and then it's out and then autumn weather will be upon us for us to go out and enjoy but I hope you've all been having a lovely time you've been able to go and see some lovely nature and go and explore some wildlife I'm loving your weekly nature highlights by the way those of you that listen to the show if you don't follow us on Instagram um, then A, get on that get on Instagram into the wild pod um, into our pod isn't it? into our podcast I mean type that in and it will come up <laughs> Always good to know your social tags. But if you go on to our Instagram and every Sunday we kickstart our weekly nature highlights and we've had some great ones come in recently. I've got to shout about one because my brother who listens to the show, uh, Lee Dalton, tweeted, he'll be, he'll love the fact I've just said his name on the podcast. He will be buzzing. I'm going to get a WhatsApp straight away from that. Probably owing him money. He tweeted because a bat, and I don't know what species, maybe I'll tweet it and try and find out because I can't identify bats. But a bat flew into his head, landed, and he just observed it for 10, 15 minutes just to make sure it was all right. And then it got up and flew away. That's, I mean, A, that's awesome. B, what's wrong with that bat? Don't they have, like, Optima? radar inbuilt systems to make sure they don't hit into things but that was um, probably one of my favourite nature highlights this week if you're not following us on Instagram please visit us and click follow and then uh, get ready for every Sunday as we do weekly nature highlights one more thing I would also like to say is a big thanks to Simon Paul not Garfunkel um (laughs) Simon Paul and then someone anonymous who has recently bought me a coffee on Kofi um, um, thank you very much for that. I enjoyed the coffee very much. It was an oak milk latte. Very lovely to get me through the week. Whoever the anonymous person was, thank you very much. You brought me a couple of coffees. So if you're listening to the show, thank you. And for the rest of you, if you would like to support Into the Wild, a reminder that it is always going to be a free show, but anyone that's got a little bit of cash and would like to throw some money this way, you can visit our Kofi link in the write-up of this episode. I'll be forever grateful because whilst we are a free show, it is not free to run. Anyway, this week has been full of in the news as always, so let's pick up our moods and start talking about some positive nature stories, shall we? That means it's time for 60 Second Nature News. Deep breath, here we go, let's do this. Butterfly Conservation tweeted to announce that the wall brown butterfly that was feared extinct from Northern Ireland was spotted by one of their members. The last sighting of the species was seen on the South Down coastline way back in 2015. 
Cornwall Birds chairman Mark Grantham confirmed red kites have bred again in the county for the first time in a whopping 170 years. Plans to remove protections from the Kuala Langa North Forest Reserve, a protected forest close to Kuala Lumpur in the peninsula of Malaysia, have been cancelled by local government. The Selangor State Government will regazette the area as a protected forest following an intense civil society campaign against the plans to build a mixed-use development covering half of the existing forest. And finally, the media this week announced that this autumn in England, we will see a record number high of insects, quickly spread online as a negative, and even you, Gov, sharing a list of the most disliked insects. I am here to say for all nature lovers that this is actually positive. And anyone that says otherwise can quite simply... And that's the end of 60 Second Nature News. There we go. That was 60 Second Nature News. The last one was a little bit personal. I didn't find that story. That was just something I wanted to spread. <laughs> so I wanted to give a middle finger to all the media, newspapers, journalists that were trying to make us hate on insects. I'm not here for that. None of us are here for that. Anyway, let's move on to today's show, shall we? Today we are talking about a topic. Well, I say I am talking about a topic. As you know, I will be interviewing someone whilst we talk about a topic that is going to be a bit... It's one of those, you know, on Into the Wild, we like to talk about stories that may be uh, quite divisive, maybe you will likely already have opinions of, and this is probably one of these today. Today, I talk to deer stalker and land uh, manager, Megan Rowland. We're going to be talking about the use of hunting for conservation in the UK. I've... I mean, I don't need to sell this. I've got my opinions on this. I try and do as much reading and research, and I know we're going to use that lovely word, nuance. There's loads of nuance thinking in all of this. But I wanted to get into the nitty-gritty of it a little bit. Like, how does it actually work? And and hunting is a very broad statement, right? So when I say hunting, that could be hunting from from deer stalking, down to fox hunting, down to pheasant shooting, badger culling, all these things that are used. We're just talking about hunting as a use. Um, We actually have a really fascinating chat about the evolution of hunting in the UK because it's very different here and Megan points out very rightly that it's it's got a lot to do with class where we don't see that in the rest of the world so as always when we're talking about these topics I will ask you as my lovely listeners to kind of go in with an open mind you may hear some things you don't agree with um, I did but it's a lovely chat and Megan is a lovely person so just let's let's leave leave the views and opinions at the door listen to the episode and again as I always say these episodes are here as part of your research not to change your mind So this episode is called The Use for Hunting for Conservation in the UK with Megan Rowland. Hi, Megan. Welcome to Into the Wild. Thanks for joining me for a chat today. This episode, or this chat at least, I feel has been a long time coming, has it not? It has a bit, yeah. Talked about it for, oh God, months. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite nice to be here. (laughs) It is. It's Finally, we've actually got ourselves sorted. The stars have aligned. (laughs) They have indeed. (laughs) It's a pleasure to have you on the show and a pleasure to be able to talk to you about the topic that we're talking about today. As I said to you before I press record, I like chats like this because I feel like it tests my brain and I hope my listeners feel the same (laughs) as well. It's nice to not get put in your stress zone, but get put in your stretch zone with the way your yeah. brain works sometimes. A way you can I develop think that's your healthy. thoughts. Yes, I do I as well. I think it's good to be challenged. It is, it is. And I think challenging yourself and asking these questions can often lead you down paths <laughs> that you would have never have naturally gone down. So it's gonna be an interesting chat today. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A cure for cure for insomnia otherwise. That's fine. Yeah. It'd be a dead boring chat now, won't it? <laughs> 
Um, it's public right, service. So, <laughs> let's start with the obvious question, as we always start here on Into the World, Megan. Can you start mm-hmm. by telling us who you are and what is it you do? So my name is Megan Rowland. I live and work in the Highlands of Scotland, sort of almost in the very far north. I've worked for the last five, just shy of six years as a professional day stalker and land manager in this area. And uh, I now work for Nature Scots, who were SNH, but I am definitely not representing them today. I feel okay. obliged to put that in there. <laughs> that this is, is purely the my views, yeah, yeah. not them at all. I love how you ended with that as well. <laughs> um, so you're a deer stalker. That's, yeah. That sounds like a super intense and cool job that's that's one of the best job titles i think yeah yeah definitely it's um it's it's an interesting line of work it's one of these things that i think the public have an idea of the deer stalker i mean you go on like Mm. like any stock image website and a deer stalker is like an old guy with a big beard and tweeds (laughs) and you know the whole thing and then you get clients on the day and they get i rock up and they're kind of like Oh, <laughs> not a woman! I know, no. And then, and then you take them out and they have a really nice time and a really good day, and you know, and they they get quite surprised by like the fact that this is this is the sort of person that can do it. Um, mm. But no, it's interesting. I mean, it's everything from from sort of land management to food production to managing people, tourism, yeah. kind of everything all comes together in the role. It's really, really quite quite varied. And this might be a super obvious question, which, to be fair, let's be honest, this is Ryan asking the question, so it will be. How do you stalk a deer? Carefully. (laughs) That's it. One word answer, carefully. No, I mean, like, we always say, like, 99% of the day is spent in observation. Mm. Like, before, you know, when when you're doing the stalk. I mean, in order to stalk deer i mean i know there's some places in the country are probably so many you could just kind of close your eyes and rock up <laughs> and you'd get something but <laughs> but you know like seriously 99 percent of it is watching deer knowing what they do knowing how they behave thinking like a deer you know mm. um it's kind of one of those things that you know when the wind's out of the west and there's a certain type of weather you know where they're going to be because you've spent that time watching them so i mean yeah there's that kind of assumption that like you get a kick out of killing stuff if that's your job but actually the vast majority of it is spent watching the animals and learning about them in a way that's quite involved really yeah that's really nice you get quite an insight into their lives yeah it's like any kind of field work really isn't it you're out there you're observing it's wildlife observation really at the end of the day exactly exactly so i mean while you've got the sort of guns and knives part of the job for doing the the sort of business end of it (laughs) in order to actually do your job exactly (laughs) in order to do your job you do kind of need to spend a hell of a lot of time sort of knowing what you're looking at Mm. really especially if you're doing it for management um you know and you're you're looking to to very much manage your populations you kind of need to know what you're looking at and decide what animal you're taking and for what reason so it's yeah it's quite an interesting and involved kind of job really and before I go on to like our main topic of conversation today, I hadn't planned on asking this, but I guess now that being your job role, I, I should. What are the reasons why, you said with land management, but what are the reasons why deer stalking as a job role exists? What, what are the, the objectives with the role? So, I mean, up here at least, is one of the primary objectives is managing deer to mitigate ill effects on habitats, like particularly okay. sensitive habitats. So where we are, we're like right on the edge of the flow country. 
So sort of mm. massively designated blanket bog, one of the biggest stretches in the world. You know, I mean, mm. it's it's on the list to be a World Heritage Site, so it's wow. really valuable. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like, with that habitat, it's massively resilient in some ways and really fragile in others. So mm. if you have lots of deer on it and they're, you know, tracking on it and trampling, well, the peat's getting exposed and it's drying out and it's releasing carbon. So you've got to, for example, it's just one one reason. So if we're managing deer in that area, it's to prevent damage to that particular habitat. But, I mean, some people manage them to prevent or minimise damage in woodlands, for example, whether they're current existing woodlands or new woodlands and forestry. There's a whole heap of reasons, really. Um, okay. But one of the primary ones is kind of managing for habitat benefit as much as anything. But then you've also got, like, herd management as well. If you have a resident population of deer and you're happy to have a resident population, some people want slim to none, depending yeah. on their management <laughs> choices. Um, <laughs> if you're happy with deer, then you're also factoring sort of like herd management, making sure that you're removing ones that, you know, I mean, everybody, <laughs> I just get a bit funny. You know, you see people saying, we only remove the old, the sick and the ill. And I'm kind of like, yeah, but you're, you're telling, telling everyone you put them in the food chain. It doesn't exactly sell venison to anybody if that's your tagline. <laughs> I'm kind of like... <laughs> Eat not really venison. the best line this lovely yeah. sick old frail venison i know i know so i kind of felt that i feel that's probably not the best tagline to use but that's obviously like part of it the this is where you manage deer i know i'm kind of like maybe not the line you want to use but no i mean <laughs> <laughs> obviously you're looking for those animals and removing them for the sake of like welfare i mean if mm. we've seen stuff that's you know sometimes you see someone that's got you know a, a busted leg that's got caught in a fence or something like that or, I mean, like a lot of the stag stuff, and we'll probably come on to that later with the sort of like hunting side mm. of things. I mean, you're looking for an age profile of animal that is in the older cohort. So, you know, you're very much kind of looking for those animals. But yeah, I mean, you know, herd management in general, you're looking nice. for you're looking for a whole whole different range of animals depending on the day. <laughs> depending on the day and the reason. Um, the next question before we go on to our main, main topic is, what does wildlife and nature mean to you personally? So. For me, it's kind of everything, mm. really. I mean, it's been like, I mean, as, as a kid, I was probably a little bit weird, probably one <laughs> of the sort of like weird nature kids. Um, <laughs> you know, so it was like every weekend be going out to the beach and we lived on a croft. So, you know, it was like any free time you'd mm. be outside and just pottering about out in the fields and out on the hill. And, you know, so and then growing up, similar sort of thing. I mean, if you need headspace, you go for a walk, you know, it's that kind yeah. of thing. Uh, so it's always kind of been there as my kind of go-to. And then obviously, like, my career has kind of led me down this path where I've kind of have worked both in nature. I mean, I started did a lot of, like, conservation volunteering. Mm. I started out doing a degree at uni and then, and then left uh, about 18 months. It wasn't the right fit at the time. Yeah, of course. Um, so I thought, right, okay, I'll do a lot of volunteering. So, you know, did stuff with various conservation organizations and you know again it was that sort of that was kind of like my default go-to <laughs> you know it wasn't sort of going to do anything else it was like right okay conservation nature-based stuff that's where we're going to go and then you know with the, even with the gamekeeping side of things or the land management deer stalking side of things again it was to, to have that interaction with with the land with with the place yeah and now working for sort of like you know government's arm of nature management so it's kind of yeah it's kind of been everything really yeah you've had a real like kind of spectrum of the range of, <laughs> yeah of the yeah you could say that <laughs> <laughs> but today's topic is um so well what listeners will know from the title of it it, it might make 
a few of you feel a bit gross. I don't know. That's that's my words. I might be using the wrong ones there. But also, I do feel it's one that is, as we said at the beginning, healthy to be discussed because A, it's happening, so it's a thing, so we might as well talk about it. And whilst divisive, I don't actually think it always needs to be as divisive as it is. I think a lot of the time we, when we talk about this kind of topic and hunting or hunting for conservation, um, and also a side note, I will say that today what myself and Megan are talking about is hunting within the UK. We are not talking about hunting within Africa. We're not talking about hunting in the Americas, specifically t- hunting in the UK. But we're going to be talking about using hunting for conservation. So my first question on that topic for you, Megan, is in the UK, how is hunting used for the conservation of wildlife? <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Started with a small yes. question. <laughs> little, little question. Represent the whole sector. No, no sweat. Um, <laughs> so I think it's way multifaceted. I mean, I have my sector that I've worked in, which is like the sort of deer management in Scotland, hmm. specifically the Highlands and the Uplands. So, like I said, I mean, a lot of my role has been management of sensitive habitats. So Mm. for us to not manage deer, if we made that choice to not do that, you would end up with a lot of these pretty fragile habitats or or especially valuable habitats in terms of like carbon capture being damaged to an extent that would be, you know, unacceptable, frankly. So you've got that element of it. You've got, I mean, if we're going to sort of go across the whole board, because like, you know, said hunting is different things to different people. Mm. If we're talking about the sort of more sort of shotgun, pheasants, grouse, waterfowl, you know, across the board there, then there are, whether you sort of agree with that side of things or not, there are definite benefits to having people managing land for those birds, whether that's putting in cover crops or managing and creating nesting environments for various birds, you know, with, mm. especially if it's like wild game, that sort mm. of things, rather than sort of put down birds um, like pheasants and partridge. Yeah. So it's kind of, on one hand, you've got the sort of managing potential negatives caused by certain animals. And on the other hand, it's the sort of habitat creation and management. And I mean, you know, the, the whole predator control issue is a touchy one and you know, you've probably seen as many debates on Twitter as I have about sort of <laughs> only well, every day. Have all these, yeah, if we didn't have all these birds in the first place, then we wouldn't have the predator populations we've got, etc., etc., etc. So, yeah. but there's no denying the fact that you know there have been studies that have shown that you know some predator management in the right circumstances can benefit vulnerable birds. I mean, like you know, capricornia and things like that. There's been mm. multiple studies have shown that predation is one of the big factors that affects them. So it's kind of balancing all these things. So yeah, there's definitely there's definite advantages to it, and it's definitely, in my view, and I'm probably biased. <laughs> there's That's definitely fine. there's definitely you know ways that it benefits the natural world that we work in. Do you think with when we look at and I'll pick these two out specifically, but pheasants and driven grouse, and you said about partridge as well. Um, do you think there are I'm just sorry if this question is too challenging. And I, I mean that in regards to, I don't know, putting you on the spot, but mm-hmm. do you think there are enough pros for wildlife within those activities to say it's grand to keep going? That's a tough one. Um, yeah, no, I know, mean... sorry. <laughs> I have written that one down. <laughs> we said it would be a difficult chat. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm feeling challenged already. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, oh God, that's a tough one. I mean, I can absolutely see. I've always, I've always been brought up. Like my my dad always said, there's two sides to every story, or at least two mm. sides to every story. So I've kind of got that very much ingrained in my head from quite an early stage. So, and that's a 
blessing and a curse. Because <laughs> it'd be really nice to just go, it's absolutely great, no question about it. Or yeah. it's utterly terrible, ban it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, it almost seems like a nicer life to live, doesn't it? Like, it does. <laughs> I often I'd see really people like... on one side or the other going, they're angry about that thing, but they must be content with their views and opinions. I know. I mean, they must be like really utterly like, Right, and you kind of like, oh my god, I just couldn't even be that. I can't, I'm not that certain about what I'm having for tea, let alone like <laughs> big moral ethical decisions. You know, gee whiz. <laughs> I think that there's definitely big benefits to be had. I'm yeah. going to say that, like for all, like for the reasons I've said. I also think that there are definite occasions when the sector, like, and I'm going to say that to sort of encapsulate that group, does need to have a look at what's going on and question and appreciate the challenge i mean like we've said you know being challenged is is healthy you know i yeah. mean cuz i mean like like george monbiot for one he's he's a polemic it's what he does he raises questions and it gets people's blood pressure up but some of the stuff that he comes out with it's a useful kind of extreme to measure against okay yeah. he's come out with that and frankly i i think it's absolutely rubbish but where does that measure compared to where we are now and does he have any points that are worth listening to? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's healthy to be challenged like that, definitely. And I, yeah, I, I definitely think that there's definitely things in the sector. I mean, I think the number of birds that are put down are a bit barking, to be quite honest. Mm. I think that they are unsustainable. I mean, it, millions and millions and millions of birds being put down. I just, I, I struggle with that, to be honest, as a, yeah. as a practice. I really genuinely really struggle with that to, to endorse it. <laughs> yeah, that's um, interesting. With a sort of like yeah. sort of conservation kind of head on, or even a sort of field sports kind of head on. I mean, you know, I know that there are some shoots where they're shooting a thousand bird days, and it's just wrong. I mean, I, I find that really. I was, I had a conversation with a landowner, and he said, "If you can't remember every shot you take, you've taken too many." And I thought, well, that's, that's kind of that's kind of yeah, I can go with that actually. Yeah. I mean, we went on a shoot down in um, in England. Where would it be? Two three years ago now. Like last year's kind of thrown everything out, so about, about two yeah. years. I'm kind of like missing a year, and there were you know eight guns with like two of us. I mean, I was just kind of there like helping out picking up and things like that. But there was sort of eight set guns with a couple of people, you know, dropping in and and having a go. And I think they shot, you know, the bag was a sort of you know a limit of 110 birds or something, and they shot 98. And it was a really good day. It was a you know sort of like friends' day. Everybody took something home. Nothing got chucked or wasted. You know, it was mm. enough birds for everybody to take something home for the freezer. You know, it was a it was a good day. The beaters, you know, had a good day. They all, you know, they were working their dogs. It's a good social event, and it's kind of it's not so much that everybody's kind of. I mean, I know I know some people find it distasteful and unsavory, and I get that, and I fully respect that view. I mean, I was like, I grew up vegetarian, so I kind of have gone from very much you like know that, yeah. anti hunting. <laughs> to to being yeah. involved in the sector so it's kind of a bit of a one, 180 but yeah i mean i'm all for sort of wild food and a sustainable offtake mm. so i kind of think there's a there's a, a mid-ground to be had i don't agree with all out bans you know that's unsustainable for everybody and i think the damage that would be done by that is greater than the benefit that would be achieved from it yeah but yeah no i think there's probably one or two places where and occasions when the sector needs to have a a serious look at itself. I feel like if if, if people are shooting a thousand a day, not I mean, like you said, not only from like how many birds are being released for that to be a potential, 
But if that's how much you want to shoot in a day, just go clay pigeon shooting. Yeah. Like, you don't, do you need the kill for that? Do you just go shoot a gun? You just Surely you just well, want to shoot a gun there. The reason we have clay pigeons in the first place is because shooting caged pigeons was banned in the 1920s. The public were so outraged and disgusted <laughs> by live animals being let out of traps to be shot at that it was banned, hence clay pigeon. Is it? I did not know that. That's my favourite fact so far. <laughs> I, I agree with what you said. I think, like, you know, we're, we're, with these kind of things, there are always going to be pros of some kind. There, there will always be pros, whether that is because we're putting food down for birds to draw them out, other birds are going mm-hmm. to eat that. If we're going to count that as a pro, that's a pro. You can't ignore that fact, and there will always be negatives with stuff. And I think what you said there is is very important from not only the industry having to question what it's doing in order to better, but also I think there's so yeah. much potential for both sides to just bridge together a bit yeah. and to say, you can crack on, you can crack on, but we can crack on together and actually have a better system for this. Do you know what I mean? We can, yeah. if you want to shoot grouse, let's shoot three different types mm-hmm. of grouse on the land rather than yeah. Yeah. the driven. So yeah, I think there's so much potential there. And it's just, it's, um, in, in fact, the the episode, as we record now that we released this week, um, was just about conservation conflicts. And it's talking yeah. about how the argument is so strong that the point gets lost. So um, I guess the, the next thing to go on to is why, because when we talk when we talk about uh, hunting for conservation, we, we I think a lot of the time we talk about population control or habitat mm-hmm. control, land control. Yeah. Why has hunting become a method for use of wildlife conservation? What's the missing link there? Why was hunting necessary as a use? I mean, it's it's always been something that humans have done. Meat's been a big driver in, in human yeah. evolution and, and change. I mean, that's just a given. So it's always been kind of one of these things that's driven people. I mean, it's only really in the last got a few hundred years that it's become so heavily tied to class. I think that's where a lot of the issue comes mm. from is this kind of, I mean, the, the, the story that I've heard is that it's actually to do with the Vikings, um, uh, it goes back that far in the, wow. when they were basically on their pillaging sprees and they were heading down into into France and, you know, went down and, and were ransacking village after village. And, and basically the French got fed up with this and said, right, if you stop it, we'll give you Normandy and you can sort yourselves out there and just leave us alone. <laughs> so they kind of went, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. That sounds like a good deal. We'll take that. And then eventually they thought, What's that island to the north doing? We'll go up there and have a poke around. And they came up here and we had the you know, Battle of Hastings 1066. I'm yeah. probably getting my history confused. It was never my strong <laughs> point. You know, William came across and did his thing. And we ended up with the Norman yoke, which is something that the English in particular have been under for quite a long time or were under for quite a long time. Um, but I think that mindset is very much still there. And it was with that sort of group of people coming over that hunting as being something for the aristocracy mm. really hit home. I mean, you know, prior to that, people could still kind of go out into the woods, you know, go out to the hill. And it became one of these things that hunting was very much kind of for royalty and the, the yeah. punishment was death. I mean, that was, you know, even a rabbit for the pot and you were potentially going to get hung, Jesus. you know, if you were lucky. <laughs> yeah. you know, so it was, it was like that sort of very much kind of in people's minds that it became very much class-focused like a long time ago yeah which i think is where a lot of the unhappiness 
comes from, especially, I mean, you know, you see most of the arguments about sort of grouse shooting being one in particular. It's all about toffs, you know, hunting with foxes. It's, again, toffs in tweed, blah, blah, blah. It's very much about the sort of a lot of the happiness comes from the class side of it. I mean, you look at, yeah. I mean, we've got a lot of Scandinavian clients who come to Scotland for the hunting, and there just is not the same hostility in Scandinavia or in America. I mean, it's there, especially in the sort of more urban populations. I mean, they all say, you know, people in people in Oslo or, or wherever don't understand why we do what we do. But I mean, they've got, they've just got that cultural understanding of why people go out and hunt. Do, do you think that's down to the class thing? Because the UK is obsessed with class. Totally. Totally and utterly. So I think that sort of that side of things, it's less of an every man's kind of activity, yeah. and it's more of a. It, like in the UK, it's seen as very much you know something you can do if you've got an estate <laughs> or you yeah, you know yeah. you're loaded, and you know it's it's very much that kind of class issue comes into a lot of the discussions about. It. I mean, if you remove sort of like you put your filters online and you sort of got rid of like tough tweeds upper class prick then it would <laughs> you'd minimize a lot of the, res- the results and about sort of like grouse shooting and things like that <laughs> because what, you, you know i went i went to game fair got invited was very mm-hmm. excited went had a great time yeah oh should i say this i don't know <laughs> it's my podcast um <laughs> it was very that yeah it was that there wasn't all that i'm British, so maybe I'm obsessed with class, but I did see a lot of that. <laughs> I did see it. It was there, and I was like, holy yeah. sh... Like, I'm not seeing people that grew up like I did here. Yes. Um, it was not diverse, let's put it that way. <laughs> no. I, I think it definitely has an image problem. I mean, like, yeah. like I said, if I take clients out, they go, oh, a girl. Because mm. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's that's <laughs> unusual. I mean, I get... Like, <laughs> that's so weird, isn't it? <laughs> It is. I mean, it's like no, like no other sector really uh, has like the whole sort of like sex, gender, age, diversity, race, you know, all these protected characteristics mm. in every other workplace. But within the sort of like the sort of hunting, shooting, fishing sector, it's very much it's still like the practitioner side of it. I mean, you know, you go to a, a shooting ground, a clay shoot ground and you get a, a, you know, a nice mix of people. But I mean, it's still very much. Yeah, it's it's got an image problem i can't i can't get around that you know and i think that would be one of the ways to make it to help people see the see the benefits of it i mean if if we get people stalking here you know i said a lot of scandinavians i mean they're you know security guards and builders and farmers or policemen or whatever you know it's kind of like a pretty broad spectrum or you know i mean we get women here too so it's kind of a, a whole range of people whereas like yeah, you just don't get that, perhaps that same mix in, in the UK. And they're there. I mean, you know, I, I ran a group for a sort of event for ladies interested in, in deer stalking, you know, 2019, and in, in, in 2019. And like with COVID and stuff, we never did anything this last year. But I mean, you know, they're obviously there. It was kind of a very informal kind of shout out on Twitter. Hey, I'm doing an event in the very far north of Scotland. And I had like four people get in touch straight away and say, I'm interested, even if it's wow. like, you're not doing something, you know, in my neck of the woods. If you do anything, let me know. Yeah. So it's kind of like like straight away. There's obviously like, and we, we had these discussions about, has anybody had any, because it was like an all-women's day, has anybody had any, you know, experiences or anything that would put you off? And like, everybody did, which I think is completely unacceptable. You know, it's not to say that that's been the case across the board, because, I mean, like, you know, like nine times out of ten, everybody's great and very supportive, and they're delighted to have more women there. But, yeah, it, it, there's definite barriers, Yeah. Um, which is which is not good. 
really. No. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a whole other big issue. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think it's something that, and I can only view it like from my view, which is a sort of like, you know, cis white woman, heterosexual cis white woman, yeah. you know, which is like very much a very specific view. But I've had enough barriers. So anybody else of any other kind of background is going to find it equally hard. And I live rurally and I've, you know, Jesus Christ, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, but that's it's that, that that's actually I really wasn't expecting the class thing to be answered there, but it's such a I don't know, such an mm. important point to highlight why not only why is it used, but also I guess how it, the journey it's gone on as well and why it's different yeah. to, you yeah. know, why it's so I don't know, offensive to be used as a method. Um, yeah. Yeah. What it, uh, what extent is it regulated? I guess is another because when we we talk about you know, well for any wildlife conservation hunting or whether that's a method to use. How when you say deer stalking, for example, how how regulated is that? When you say like what individuals you're taking, is that strongly regulated? Well, you've kind of got the two sort of sides of it. You have got the sort of like the just the general moral code that people operate under, mm. and the actual legal code that people operate under. I mean, you know, I could go out and I could shoot a female deer yeah. i wouldn't want to because it's inappropriate to do so at this time of year yeah because they've got defendant young end of story you know legally i think they've now changed it up here so that people can now go out in the sake of like forestry protection and stuff can from the first of september go out and shoot females mm. normally the season doesn't start until the 21st of october so they've pushed it oh wow right okay. forward so a month and a half because of the worries over sort of dependent young and things like that mm. so yeah you've got this i mean it is it is I would say it's quite well regulated and heavily regulated in the sense that you will always have people find ways around the system, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> regardless of what you do, because that's how people work. If I wanted to go and stock gear, first of all, I need my firearm certificate. You know, I've got to go through, I've got to have a GP check to make sure I've, I've sound mind and body. I've got to then have a couple of referees who are of sound standing in the community. I'll have a police visit to make sure that everything's stored suitably and uh, and that I'm actually like, you know, not managed to get around every other <laughs> roadblock at that point, you know. So they sort of, there's all those checks before you even like, can even potentially go out and buy a gun. Yeah. Then you've got to go out and you've got to go to, you know, your, your registered firearms dealer or whoever it is and, and buy your rifle, which has got to be of legal calibre for the species that you're wanting to go and shoot. Mm. So if I'm shooting red deer, it's got to meet a certain criteria and bullets have got to have a certain velocity and a certain weight in order to guarantee a lethal impact when they hit something. Wow. So you've got all that side of things before you're even <laughs> going anywhere. Like technically, if I went out with a deer stalker, as a complete novice, I don't need that stuff to have been done because I'm being guided by someone who has gone through all that as well. Mm, okay. So they are then in a, a situation as being your guide and making sure that you tick all the boxes and you know are safe and, and if they have any doubts, they can take you back off the hill sort of mm -hmm. thing. It's like any other activity at that point. If you're misbehaving, you go home, end all. Yeah. So it's kind of, I mean, you know, most people who want to go out actually want to go out and they've paid a lot of money to do so, so they're not going to mess around. So. It's kind of it's kind of fair enough. Besides the point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But um, I mean, if I want to then go out on my own, you know, the ideal is that an, a lot of places now, if there's a lease available to manage deer in a woodland, say, they want you to have your deer management level, uh, deer management qualification level one, which is a sort of five part theory test with a shooting element. And then they'll want you to do your level two, which mm. is um, a simulated stalk. And the game meat handling element as well, because you're producing for the food chain. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. So you have to make sure you're actually handling something properly. properly. Yeah. 
exactly. I mean, and then in part of that, I mean, like the, the day management side of things, it's looking at health. So, you know, notifiable diseases and knowing what to look for, whether it's like blue tongue or tuberculosis mm. or something like that, you know. So it's making sure you know about safe shooting and, you know, safe backstops and muzzle speeds for different species. And can you recognize the species and the different sexes at different times of the year? And <laughs> all that, all the different seasons that you have for different species. So it's, there's a lot to it. Jesus, it is regulated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think there's, like I said, there's this idea that folks can sort of like go out, buy a gun. And I mean, you know, like in the UK, they just, no, you just can't. Yeah. Um, and just go out and start wanging away. And you can't do that. You know, that's no. just. It's, well, it's kind of nice to hear as well. <laughs> do you know it's always a nice go oh that's reassuring <laughs> both for wildlife yeah. and people oh, it's a very british reaction isn't it oh thank god it's so thank heavens for that <laughs> <laughs> didn't want to be in an american state i know let's go to walmart and get a gun yeah um <laughs> bullets and pick a mix please <laughs> yeah although apparently you can't buy bullets at the moment in the states it's really hard to get bullets because so many people have stocked up which is a little bit disconcerting uh, to hear. That's not a phrase you want to hear with lethal <laughs> weapons, is it? <laughs> not really. Not really. I hasten to add that is America. Not, not here. Um, um, for anybody who's just tuned in. <laughs> I'm going to ask you this question. This wasn't in the list as well, so sorry. But you don't have to answer it. But I'm going to ask you this question. <laughs> Do you have a favourite shot you've ever taken? Mm, I don't know. I mean, there's been a few times you've gone out and... I don't know. It's a really tricky one. It's it's always nice when you go out and everything just happens like perfectly. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, you know, it's not that that makes it sound like it doesn't happen all the time. And it, it does. I mean, like, you know, if you're taking out a client, you're doing everything you can to make sure that everything happens as smoothly as possible. Mm. You know, all the sort of potential wrinkles can be smoothed. Yeah. <laughs> you're dealing with wild animals at the end of the day. But, you know, but I mean, it's quite nice just to go out on your own yeah and not have not have somebody there sort of i mean you know it's nice having clients but there's been one or two times you've been out you know and made an early start and you're only people on the hill and you head out and everything just flows perfectly we had a nice thing at three years ago now four years ago went out first thing climbed to the top of the one of the highest hills on the place stalked in a group of stags lying right on the top to stay out of the flies and took a shot at this. I mean, what we look for if you're a Highland stalker, the, the kind of like the a lot of people think like trophy stag, and they think like multiple points, and yeah. it's just got to be as sort of like like a bunch of bananas on top of it. You know, <laughs> if you're if you're a Highland stalker, the thing that most people look for is what we call a switch, which is a stag with like brow points and then just single sabers. Oh, okay. That's kind of I mean, the, the the a lot of people they get called like murder stags and. You know, you see it in Robuxes sometimes as well. They have, like, just pure points. Yeah. And that's not babies. That's not, like, young deer that haven't formed a head. This is, like, full adults that just have single... Single antlers. And it's just the way they formed. And, I mean, in terms of, like, your herd management, they're really good to get rid of because they're so dangerous. Oh, okay. Because it's like they've got two knives on top of their heads. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and they all know how to use them. And all you watch other deer around them, other stags, even if you've got, like, an 18, 19 stone stag beautifully built, you know, big, beautiful head of antlers on them, they'll all swerve around switches because they're so dangerous. You know, they've just, like, got knives on their heads. I mean, they're, like... <laughs> so in terms of, like, management, that's the one you're looking for. And we had a really nice stalk a few years ago, and there was a group of stags lying there, crawled in with them sort of, you know, 80, 85 metres, shot the one switch at the group, 
who basically just plopped his head forward and no no other deer moved because I mean like you know all our deer are kind of <laughs> were like thank god that he's gone he's dangerous yeah <laughs> kind of not like looking around going is something wrong can you can you smell blood you know, it's kind of like but I mean like in terms of like the perfect shot that was pretty much like in my book as good as it got yeah you know the whole group of them just hanging about and nobody's stressed there's no running about there's no excitement it's like how boring can we make this that's yeah. as good as it gets for me <laughs> that's good that's nice to hear as well though that's nice that it's um, just like done yeah i mean that's like as good as it gets i mean if you know if you could sort of like choose how to go then it'd be kind of like as good as it gets really <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> like a bit morbid but you know what i mean it's kind of uh if you had any choice in the matter at all lying there you know or chewing the cud and and you know just gone Job's done. Yeah, job's yeah, gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then back down the back down the hill and uh and back home and all before sort of you know ten o'clock in the morning. It's really nice. That's that's it's, it's nice to hear. I think I, I It sounds nice. I mean that's just it's a kind of squishy word. My English teacher would hate me for it. Yeah, um, I know. It's such, it's such a plain word, isn't it, to say it's nice. But yeah. also I I for me it's um it's interesting, but I enjoy hearing people like yourself talk through the process and say you enjoy it and talk about the positives from it because yeah. Really, although I wouldn't want to do it, and I understand, as you've mentioned on the show today, the reasons why it's done and the benefits of why yeah. it's done, depending on what hunting we're talking about, if we're focusing on deer stalking or deer hunting. Yeah. I would rather it be the way you're saying it than people yeah. going out with AK 47s <laughs> from a helicopter, <laughs> mowing, mowing, them, mowing down. them down. Do you know what I mean? Like, let's, <laughs> let's be honest, we'd yeah. rather have someone that enjoys the outdoors, enjoys wildlife, enjoys being out in nature understands and not just that person but i mean like the the industry as well being regulated yeah. to the extent that you just explained i think that for me mm. is something that makes me feel more comfortable about yeah. the topic which is why again with i know we're not talking about this today but with other forms of hunting that we've discussed on the show before i have also felt a bit more comfortable with it because i'm like well at least it's like this <laughs> not yeah like this. and that's not I to suggest that... that it's not you know it i think happen. it's that knowing what happens i mean like, yeah. like i said i mean this the whole thing's got an image problem yes yeah. people assume that that deer management i mean like i'm very highland focused and very sort of scottish highland focused so you know i'm probably quite biased in in my view because i know it isn't the same everywhere yes and a lot of places have got pressures on on their deer like with the sheer weight of numbers that they need to address and that's just the reality of the situation that's is so that true. will mean that is so true big culls you know, which is like not everybody's favourite day out, but it's also the, a reality of the situation is if they're hammering the woodlands, for example, mm. and you're not getting regeneration, then, you know, 20 years down the line, you're going to be thinking, God, we've got no trees coming up. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't good. It's also like a like they're also dictating the type of trees we can put in. And yeah, there's some that you exactly. can't put in. Because it's, it's like unpalatable stuff. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like, it's, <laughs> you know, and then like we said, actually, before we press record, and this is probably a, uh, a point that we should bring up is you know the fact that we don't really have the predators there to do this for us we don't have no them hit it would be bloody nice if we did and i want to live yeah. in the uk one day where we do have these predators back mm. to some extent 
Um, and when I say to some extent, it's been I, I don't want to bump into a bear in Audi. That's what I mean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the to some extent. It's certainly exciting. Yeah, it, well, it make you know <laughs> liven make, up the weekly <laughs> shop somewhat. Liven it up. I mean, I'm vegan, so he won't see me in the same aisle. Um, he might see me down the foraging <laughs> fruit and berry aisle, but <laughs> my penultimate question for you is. Um, and I guess we touched on this briefly when I said to you about the, you know, the driven grouse and the pheasant hunting. But what things in the hunting industry do you think, I don't want to use the word need to change, but do you think could change to better or help improve biodiversity and wildlife in the UK? That's an interesting one. I mean, I think that it, oh God, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's one of these things, like I said, I mean, one of the biggest problems that we've got is the image problem. Mm. And I think that so much time gets taken up in arguing with people about why what we're doing is any good mm. because so many people haven't got a locus on what actually happens. Like, I've just explained to you some of the, some of the regulation, cause I've still not talked about like, you know, deer management groups and like the sort of interaction with government and all that yeah. side of things that goes on as well. So that's further regulation. I, but I've just told you about that because that's not something that is kind of like, widely known yeah absolutely. i think if more more people were given the sort of the time and opportunity to see and get involved we could spend less time arguing about the actual possible benefits of the thing and get out there and, and have more people involved in what's going on i mean not everybody's going to want to be in, like involved in it and not everybody's want to, going to want to shoot a gun but if we had more people sort of eating venison or being able to produce venison or you know having a clue about even what happens in their area so that it's less of a, a stressor and they can understand and it's less fractious for people who are managing during the sort of rural urban crossover. Yeah. Then that's all got to be a good thing. Cause I mean, like, you know, I mean, I've got a friend who manages land down in, in England and, you know, he says, you know, they're quite rural where they are, but even then they've got people out jogging and dog walking and doing other things in the woods that they probably shouldn't be. Um <laughs> <laughs> there have been there have been incidences of, of yes people found having a nice time having a nice time enjoying lockdown. nature in ways that yeah. not all of us do <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know unaware completely unaware that he's out stalking and you know i mean he's not that it's not like the sort of like slightly crazy thing in the states where some of them sort of just shoot at anything that moves because that has happened um <laughs> You know, I mean, it's not like that, but it's it's that sort of it, it, that awareness of what's going on and why and when. And how, um, I think would be really useful, to be honest. I think that would be one of the biggest thing. I think most of the problems that we face with regards to biodiversity are to do with people and perception. Interesting. Not all of them, but a lot of yeah. them can come down to that and the, just the sheer communication about what happens and why and what needs to change. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, but you're not going to do that, like the, the field sports sector, and I hate the word field sports, but I'm using it as a whole, it's kind of an echo chamber. We all know with, like, generally that people are doing good things, but if you're only telling your pals, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's, it's the same with con conservation's not dissimilar in the same sort of way. No, I would agree with that, yeah. Or most other silos, to be honest. Everybody's sort of doing good things, but we only ever focus on the bad. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, because Which is, you know, you've got the two sides. Because that's what it. makes the news and that's what's juicy. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was really not so expecting it's... your answer to be perception. That's really interesting. I like it, but I was yeah. really not expecting that answer. Yeah. And I think that's a very interesting takeaway. Yeah, because... that would be my kind of, that would be kind of, I think my kind of, probably up there. 
Definitely. Yeah. I'm sure there's other stuff I've kind of not thought about, but I think that like, definitely it just there's so much time spent just breaking down barriers. And it'd be great if you could take out everybody one by one and explain yeah. this yeah, is what yeah. we do and why. <laughs> yeah, I do agree with you. I, th- I think it would be, l- I mean, I said it already on, on the show. I, I think coming together from both sides and just with a little bit of, all right, what do you do? Rather than mm. we don't like what you do might be a bit <laughs> yeah. more insightful. And you might even see something that might benefit you. That's the other uh-huh. thing. Like, and we, I mean, maybe this should be the title of the show because we talk about <laughs> challenging perceptions or challenging mindsets. But it's, I don't know, like maybe if one side looks at the other, they should, we could use that brilliant idea they've got to yeah. actually benefit what we want to do. Um, exactly. So I, I definitely think that's something exactly. to consider. Right, the last question. Yeah. This is the hardest one. Okay. And everyone, I, I think I say that on every show now, so I better stop saying it because my <laughs> listeners will be like, we know what the damn question is, Ryan. If, Megan... <laughs> If you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone on the planet regarding the natural world, what bit of advice could you pass on? No pressure. <laughs> yeah, they're all listening. <laughs> Ooh, um, every single person. Probably to just go and do something. Mm. Don't assume that it will happen. I mean, like the, it's really easy to say that, and not everybody's sort of got the time. But I mean, even even something like taking a bag really for rubbish, if you see on your walk, yeah, you know, something very small. Not everybody's got the time to go and direct their whole career change yeah, to, yeah, to work yeah. in this sector. There's not this number of jobs to support that for the start. But there's so many, there's so many folks that whether that's sort of like a litter pick or working for somebody or lobbying your MP or whatever, it would be to not assume somebody else is going to do it for you. Yeah, you know. And we all have to do that, regardless of whether you you shoot or you don't, or you're you know a vegan or an all out carnivore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's so many shared interests, you know, and shared benefits to looking after the planet that we all live on. Yeah, um, makes sense when you think about it like that. Really, it kind of does, really, really. So <laughs> got a bit of a logic to it, really. You know, that's cool. I love I an like argument as much as the next person, but but um, but yeah, I kind of like sort of. Quite like our ecosystem to not fresh <laughs> into flames while we're in it. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> Don't really like the heat. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, thank you uh, very much, Megan, for being on the show. This has been it's, it's been a really cool chat, and I've actually, you know what? And I say this in a positive way. Your a lot of your answers have actually really surprised me, which is nice. I don't think I had many expectations of what you were going to say, but I certainly <laughs> didn't expect what you did. So that was really lovely. Um, Good. And I feel like there's so much more to chat about. So maybe we should do like a live Q and A on Instagram or something because I feel like more people yeah, want to fun. know and want to learn about this. But <laughs> I think some people sometimes people are a bit scared to as well. But yeah. Let people mull it over and... Uh, yeah. We'll and, s- yeah, we, I'll, be, I'll be up for that. Yeah. Let's, let's see how this episode goes and then we'll talk afterwards. <laughs> see how much hate mail you get first. <laughs> yeah, let me check the inbox. Um, yeah, it was a pleasure to have you on the show and it's lovely to chat to you, Megan, and all the best for the rest of the year. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work Megan is working on, then you can do so on social media. Her tags are in the write-up of this episode. And you can also get in touch with me at intothewildpod at gmail.com or on social media at intothewildpod on Twitter and intothewildpodcast on Instagram. Whether you just want to say hello or share some thoughts on an episode or even let me know what you want to hear about next. A reminder that any views or opinions expressed in today's show belong to the person who said them and do not represent Into the Wild or anyone that we have worked with or are affiliated with. 
Into the Wild aims to always be a free show. However, running and producing it is not free. If you'd like to support us by saying thanks, and you can do so by buying me a coffee, our Kofi link is in the write-up of this episode. But until next time, keep well, stay safe, and live the good life. <laughs>